0: Um, Luke chapter 19, sorry, Luke chapter 16, verse 19 to 31. The rich man and Lazarus. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores, and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. And now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross from over there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead.
1: Father, we want to thank you for your word and we do pray now that you would um, help our minds to focus and may we understand what your word is saying. We pray also that you'd grant us uh, flexible, soft, humble hearts that we would reflect on our own lives and uh, consider what needs to change and how we can be uh, putting you first. And we pray these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. The uh, people who run casinos in Australia have been uh, pretty worried lately, not just because of the proposed changes to poker machine laws that uh, didn't get up, but uh, also because of increased competition. The um, uh, what's been happening is that uh, lately there's been some uh, big new shiny casinos that have opened up in uh, places like Singapore and Macau and uh, they've been taking business away from Australia, so fewer gamblers are uh, hopping on their jets and heading down south to uh, to Australia. In fact, in the past five years, Australia's share of the Asian casino market has dropped from 30% uh, down to 9%. It's tragic, isn't it? I mean, what's being done? to sort this out? Well, a couple of Australian casinos, are, they're proacting uh, And what uh, they've been doing is they're currently spending $3.7 billion to spruce up their facilities, to put in more uh, flash uh, gambling rooms, to uh, update the accommodation, uh, more luxurious suites and so on. Who are they targeting? Well, it's not your average punter, is it? No, the, what, the, the, they're targeting the high rollers. And uh, a high roller, by definition, according to Wikipedia, is someone who brings at least $50,000 to the table. But uh, in Australia, it's uh, an average of up around $300,000 uh, to the table. Uh, one particular high roller at Melbourne's Crown Casino Uh, turned over a staggering $1.5 billion in 18 months. That's one person. And so the the casinos are trying to lure these people. Uh, And so what they're doing is they're offering them whatever added extras they can There's um, private jet transfers, uh, limousines, the the best suites available. And get this, the... Crown Casino in Melbourne, uh, by law, high rollers are allowed to smoke inside the venue. It's the only place in Australia uh, where that's allowed to happen. you am going to ask this question, why do the high rollers want more money? I mean, it's not as if they're kind of, you know, um, struggling to put food on the table or a you know, a roof over their heads uh, they've got plenty of money they uh, they fly into Australia they check out into the casino and then they use the the excess of their extreme wealth in order to accumulate more money. why? you know the apostle Paul twice says that greed is idolatry in uh, Colossians three and in Ephesians five greed is idolatry. And idols have a very big impact on people's lives. Uh, We sometimes think of idols as being stone statues that people bow down to, but uh, that's not the case. Uh, An idol is something that takes the place that rightfully belongs to God in your heart. And so people love their idols, they trust their idols, and they serve their idols so that uh, when money is the idol, they love to get more of it, they trust the money for their security and they serve money so money becomes their master, money becomes, it, it, it shapes who they are and it uh, shapes the lifestyle and the decisions that they make in life. Anything that takes the place of God in your life is an idol It's not just the high rollers, is it, Uh, who have a problem with greed. Uh, Their idolatry is crass. Everyone can see it. They don't try to hide it. But uh, often greed can be very well camouflaged in the respectability of people's lives and even in people's religion, even amongst Christians. Uh, One particular pastor I was reading uh, pointed out that over of ministry that uh, lots of Christians have come to him and said that they've been struggling with a particular area of sin in their lives. But he said, no one's ever come to me and said, I'm struggling with the sin of greed. No one. Because we don't see it in ourselves, do we? But yet, Jesus actually had a lot to say about this particular idol. Uh, in fact, Luke 16, our passage today, If you want to open that up, there's a crowd of people that have gathered around Jesus and he tells them a story, a story about two men, two very different men. Uh, In verses 18 through to 21, the first is a rich man and he is dressed in purple and fine linen and he lives in luxury every day of his life. Uh, that's a picture of status. Uh, a few weeks ago I saw a, uh, a billboard poster advertising a particular watch. And uh, the, the poster said, the watch you wear says who you are. Right? The watch you wear says who you are. I couldn't afford one of those watches except if I went down to the markets and bought one for $5, uh, a uh, imitation. And that's the kind of picture that you've got here. Uh, this man is dressed in purple clothes. In the ancient world, purple dry dye was a status symbol. Um, purple dye was difficult to get. It came from, and get this, it came from the, the mucus of a particular sea snail that lived in the Mediterranean. So they to, someone would have to go get the sea snail, um, get the mucus from the sea snail, extract the dot... Sorry for making you sick. <laughs> but you know, that's how they got purple. And uh, so it was rare, therefore it was expensive. So therefore someone who wears a purple robe is rich. And so this guy would have had uh, a purple outer robe, his inner robe, Uh, was made of fine linen. So he was a person who surrounded himself with premium uh, designer label products. And every day we're told he lived in luxury. So inside the gate of his house, uh, his friends would have enjoyed on a regular basis sumptuous um, banquets of the, the best food available. That's the first man. Now, the second man is very different. Uh, he was a poor beggar. But he had a, th- these guys, their lives intersected. They had a connection because this poor beggar um, lay outside of the rich man's gate every day, begging. Now, uh, in the Bible, we know that um, usually it was the dogs that ate the scraps that fell from someone's table. Uh, this man would have loved if he could have eaten the scraps that had fallen from the rich man's table. Uh, but he was totally ignored. Uh, except, of course, for the dogs, who after having eaten the scraps from the rich man's table would go and lick his sores. Uh, his skin was sick. Sick probably because of malnutrition. So two very different men, but they've got two very different destinies. Because we see in the story that something huge happened to them, and it happens to every one of us in verses 22 to 24. uh, They died. Both of them died. And their lives were reversed. Their roles, their situation Was swapped. Uh, The rich man died, and he went to hell. The poor man died, and he was carried by the angels to the side of Abraham in heaven. And so, the rich man, uh, he is, he, he could now see this poor man in heaven. But the rich man had now become the beggar, and uh, we're told that he he begs Abraham to send the poor person uh, with some water because he says, I am in agony in this fire. And Jesus paints a picture of heaven and hell. Let me say a few words about that because the Bible clearly teaches the existence of heaven and hell. Uh, That's clear in the scriptures. Uh, heaven is where God is, hell is where God is not. Uh, No God in heaven, in hell. Where would you prefer to spend your eternity, by the way? Uh, With God or without God? Well, in this story, uh, we see that someone in hell, being the rich man, can actually see uh, people in heaven. Heaven. Uh, and he can have conversations with them. So he's having a conversation with, with Abraham. And what, what that tells us is that this is not a literal description of uh, what goes on. Uh, what Jesus is saying, doing here is he's telling a story in order to get a point across. So it's like, uh, for example, sometimes when I'm talking to a person and I'm wanting to help to clarify uh, the basis upon which we can get into heaven... I might say to the person, look, I want you to imagine that uh, you died tonight and you found yourself at the pearly gates and God was there at the pearly gates and he said, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? That's a good question to think about, by the way, but the point I'm making is I don't actually think that there is a pearly gate uh, and I don't think that God is there at the gates, you know, interrogating people. To but it's, it's it's a metaphor in order to, uh, to teach a particular point about what is the right basis upon which a person can enter into heaven. And it's that kind of metaphorical uh, usage of the story that um, Jesus is using here. But what is his key point? And why do these two men have such different destinies? Uh, is Jesus teaching that rich people go to heaven? Sorry, that rich people go to hell and poor people go to heaven. Do you think that's what he's teaching? Well, some left-leaning people might like to think that's what he's saying, but there's evidence in the passage that that's not the case. Because think about it, when the poor beggar arrives in heaven, who does he meet? Any ideas? Who does he meet? Abraham. Abraham. Now, was Abraham a poor man? Or was Abraham a rich man? Abraham was a rich man. Uh, in Genesis chapter 13, uh, verse 2, it says that Abraham had become very wealthy. He had lots of camels and sheep and cattle and, and he also had lots of silver and gold. No, he was a wealthy man. He was in heaven. Uh, the key to understanding why these two men had such different destinies is found in one very important detail in the story that it's easy to, to overlook, but it makes a big difference. Uh, it's, a very, it's a difference between the two men as they're described in the story. Can anyone guess what that difference might be? Right, let me tell you. In verses 19 and 20, the poor man had a name. You see that? See, in the Bible, a a person's name uh, says something about who they are. It uh, says something about their their identity. That's why people's names get changed in in the Bible. And in all of Jesus' parables, how many people that he talks about in his parables do you think that he gives a name to? One, only one, and it's this man, this poor man, gets a name and his name was Lazarus Lazarus comes from the Hebrew name Eliezer uh, which means he whom God helps now in his earthly life some people might have wondered if, if God was really helping him at all but he was known by God and his identity was found in God uh, what about the other man? What's what was his name? Well, we don't know, do we? Because Jesus doesn't give him a name. Uh, Jesus simply says that he was a rich man, a rich man. Um, earlier on in uh, chapter 12, verse 15, there, were, there was an incident where there was uh, two brothers were having a dispute about their inheritance, and uh, they come they came to Jesus uh, for Jesus to judge between the two of them. And Jesus said something which is very poignant, very, very powerful. He said that a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. A man's life does not consist. What does that mean for a person's life to consist in the abundance of their possessions? Well, it means that such a person, they are not defined by their love for God. Uh, No, they are defined by what they own, what they consume, how big their bank balance is, uh, that that their identity uh, is all about their wealth, that that is who they are. And sometimes you hear people talking about someone, and they say, oh, he owns half of Port Macquarie, or he owns this, or he owns that big house on the hill, or their identity is defined by what they own, by their wealth. And if such a person were to lose their wealth, well, they would not have a self left because their personal wealth is all based on their financial wealth. Now, Jesus did not give this man a name because he was simply the rich guy in purple clothes. But he should have had an identity which was far richer than that. Because notice in verse 25, when Abraham spoke to the rich man, what, what did Abraham call him? How did he refer to him? He called him son, called him son. Uh, In verse 27, what did the rich man call Abraham? He called him father. What does that tell us about this person? It tells us that he was an Israelite. It tells us that he was a physical descendant of Abraham. It tells us that he was one of God's covenant people, one of God's chosen people. And yet, although he knew what uh, that God had rescued his people out of Egypt uh, in his love and mercy he knew uh, the, what Moses had taught and he knew what the prophets had said he knew that because of God's love and God's mercy uh, towards his own people that he too should be loving and merciful although he knew all of that he didn't care about the poor. He didn't uh, didn't blink as he'd walk past the poor beggar uh, at his gate every day. And yet, the uh, the law of Moses and the prophets had had said that if we are part of God's redeemed people, that uh, God wants uh, His people to to care for the fatherless, to to care for the widows, to care for the poor, the dispossessed, and the aliens that there would be no poor amongst them. For the wealth that we have comes from God. If we see that our identity is in God, then we'll see that our possessions belong to God as well and use our possessions in such a way that brings honour to God. That was his identity. But what this man had done is he had exchanged that identity for the love of money, and under which, underneath that love of money, there were the hidden idols of prestige and lifestyle. And so his, his idol had blinded him. So he'd walk past this beggar and do nothing to help. His problem wasn't that he was rich. Uh, it is God who gives us uh, the things that we have to enjoy. His problem was that he was poor in his relationship with God. And now after death, he has become the beggar. Notice how he still thinks of Lazarus. Uh, In verse 24, when when he wants uh, Abraham to somehow get some water to him to cool him down from the fire that he's experiencing, uh, what does he say that Abraham should do? He says, send Lazarus to help me. See that? What does he think that Lazarus is? He thinks that Lazarus is... a servant. How did Abraham respond to that? 25 and 26. Let me read these for you. Verse 25. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. Now he's comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all of this, between us and you a great chasm has been fixed, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot nor can anyone cross over from there to us. See, uh, in verse 20, the barrier that separated these two men was the rich man's gate. But now the barrier is bigger than the Grand Canyon. Uh, It is a barrier that is uncrossable. What this tells us, friends, is that our attitude towards God now uh, determines Our eternal destiny. There is no such thing as purgatory. There is no second chance. You can't get there and say, hey, can I get out of here? No, the time to decide is now. The time to decide who will be first in your life is now. Don't put it off till later. No no man knows the time or the day of his death. Time to decide is now. There are no second chances. And so then in verses 27 to 31, the, the, the rich man, he again begs and he says to Abraham, he says, well, go and send Lazarus to... I've got five brothers. Go and send Lazarus to tell them, to warn them because so that they can, they can repent. Let's pick up the conversation verse 29. In verse 29, Abraham replied, well, actually, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, as if if Moses and the prophets are not enough. No, no, he says, but if someone from the dead goes to them, then they will repent. And he said to them, well, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. Now, of course, uh, Jesus, in speaking this, knew that in fact, he would rise from the dead. And that there would be those who would not turn to him, even though they knew he had risen. And the bottom line is because they didn't even believe in Moses and the prophets. And this is the sting in the tale of this parable, because who are the people who are listening to Jesus at this time? Who are the, who are the people who are standing around him? Context, very important. Go back to chapter 16, verses 13 through to 15. Verse 13, when Jesus tells the people that are standing around, he says, no servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Verse 14, the Pharisees who loved money heard all of this and was sneering at Jesus. He said to them, You are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of men, but God knows your hearts. What is highly valued among men is detestable in God's sight. Um, These Pharisees, they knew the law of Moses. They knew the prophets And outwardly, they were religious and respectable. Others could see that. But inwardly, in terms of their hearts, what did they love? What was their idol? Money was their idol. Money. I mean, those high rollers at the casino, you know, they don't even bother to try to hide their greed, do they? It's all out there, everyone can see it, everyone knows it, and they, they, they rejoice in it. But the greed of the Pharisees was hidden, by, hidden behind the garment of their religion and their responsibility. You know, we can be like that. Uh, in um, contemporary church... It's easy to see when, in some churches, they teach that God wants you to be rich. He wants you to have big houses and be prosperous. And that's called the prosperity doctrine, and that's pretty easy to detect. But I want to say that what is much harder to detect is when that is not taught. And uh, when we as Christians uh, just have the same attitude towards money and possessions... Uh, as our non-Christian neighbours. When we purport to put God first in our lives, but the reality is when you analyse the way that we earn our money and the way that we spend our money, that sometimes anyone looking at it from the outside would say, hang on, I can't see any difference in values between the Christian and the non-Christian. And idolatry can be a a, a multi-layered problem because uh, on the surface money may be the idol, but below the surface there are deeper idols that drive our idolatry of money. Some people uh, love money, because they want because underlying that they want to be valued by other people they want other people to look up to them and respect them uh, some people love money because they want security for their future and their present and they think that security is found in a, in a accumulating lots of money uh, some people want money because they want the comfort that they can get in this life from the things that money buys. And so in our hearts, when we are driven in this way, money takes the place of God. We love it, we trust it, we serve it. And we end up being mastered by it so that it shapes who we are it uh, shapes how we behave and it also shapes our relationship with God Uh, money of course is something which we need and it's great to have possessions it's great to be comfortable and it's responsible to be putting some money aside the Bible teaches that as well but where is our heart? what takes the prime position in our heart of being that which we love, trust and serve. In the end, the idol of money fails to deliver. Uh, The rich man learnt the truth of that, didn't he? Um, Value, security and comfort. In the end, it was Lazarus who received all of those things, wasn't it? He, it was Lazarus who came to truly know how valued he was by the one who only matters, and that is God. It was La- Lazarus who experienced that security of being safe uh, by the side of Father Abraham, safe forever in heaven. And it was Lazarus who we're told in the text, who would now, was now experiencing ultimate comfort He was cared for by God. Now you and I can enjoy those things as well, can't we? Uh, We shortchange ourselves when we put money as too high a priority. But if we truly trust that Jesus has died for our sin, and if we truly put God first in our lives, then we will find that we have someone who is worthy to trust we will find that we do have security, that we do have comfort, that we will be just like Lazarus, who by definition was the man cared for by God. God has cared for us. He's cared for us so marvellously that he did send Jesus to die for our sins, to rise again, So that we can die to ourselves and we can be clothed in Christ. For he is the one who Paul says in 2 Corinthians, though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor so that we, through his poverty, might become ultimately rich. Like Lazarus. Father in heaven, we do thank you for the uh, warning uh, of this passage. We thank you, Father God, that uh, in you, that uh, we can have uh, ultimate trust and security and comfort, that we might serve you and love you. Father, we pray for ourselves that we would put you first in our lives that we would enjoy and give thanks for the good things that you do provide but that we would hold on to those things loosely that we would be prepared to make decisions that honour you but are costly financially and that we would be prepared to uh, give up our lives to serving you we ask these things now in Jesus name Amen